and I'm going to invite you, if you do not have a Bible, if you do not have a Bible, I invite you to turn to page 991 in the Black Bibles. There's several in the, several in the seats in front of you. If you don't have one, someone can find one for you. And we'd love for you to take one of these if you don't have a Bible, and you can take it home with you, write your name in it, and use it. 991, or 1 Timothy chapter... One. Boy, this week, this week was an encouraging week for me. It was an encouraging week for our church in many ways. I want to tell you just briefly about that. So we saw nine people go through the waters and nine people that in, in kind of a culmination of what God had been doing in their life for some t- someplace years and someplace just weeks or months... They, they looked at our congregation and they responded to me and when I said, Who is your Lord and Savior? They said, Jesus Christ. And they were baptized into His death and into His resurrection that they might walk in newness of life. A picture of what God has done in their lives spiritually as they've received Christ to save them. Because of that, I've heard already this week that a 10-year-old girl, I talked to her this week. She talked with her mom and her dad, and then I got to talk with her this week, and she said to me, and answered the questions, I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and I asked Him to save me, and I want to follow Him, and I want to live for Him. This wasn't something that mom and dad is trying to make me do, but I want to do this. I see that He's real and glorious. Amen, right? And then... And then I got a message from a teen parent this week on Monday saying, praise the Lord, my, my sons who saw the service and heard the testimonies, they, they were sitting with mom in the morning and before school and they were convicted and they prayed and asked Jesus to save them. Um, and then I visited Gloria with Steve Spencer at the hospital Wednesday, who's been in the hospital for quite a long time and is waiting a heart transplant and has gone through just many physical difficulties. She watched the service on the live stream and said to me that that night, it was a hard night physically. I was in pain and it was difficult. But God encouraged me through the testimonies I heard that Sunday. And I was just like, God's power in Tracy's life and -and so-and-so's life, just in that moment, encouraged my heart. Amen? Amen. God is at work in us. We don't deserve it, but He works in us. He's a living God. I wonder what testimonies this week you have of the living God. But I want to say to you this. This week was a sad one as well. Sad when it comes down to news about the Christian church in America. First, on last Sunday afternoon, I read a scathing investigative report by the Houston Chronicle that came out rocking the Southern Baptist Convention, who we are associated with, a report that explains the chronic sexual abuse that has taken place within so many churches and the horrific way it's been followed up with. And handled. And so, 
I grieve over that, and it makes us ask ourselves, what are we doing to protect ourselves and to protect our children and protect our adults and protect all that come and visit and are part of faith church? And so we are immediately working on implementing preventative measures for our church. I'm thankful for Jason Moles and others that are working hard on that to care for our church and our, our little ones. Then... I don't know if you've heard of and know James McDonald. Some of you do. He's a tremendous preacher of the word. Somebody I would listen to and go, I want to be like his preaching, his communication, his ability to take this book and unpack it. And he got it right so many times. Well, this week the news broke that he, who the leader of Preach the Word Radio Ministries and Harvest Bible Chapel, he was fired from his church after numerous reports of spiritual abuse, mistreatment of his staff, and mismanagement of millions of dollars. A disgusting, a disgusting way and a disgusting way in which he responded to that. It was disheartening. Those, those are big stories of pastors living a double life, deacons and leaders stealing money or fights and quarrels that take place in a church. I've heard of churches where they have a fist fight in a members meeting. I mean, can you imagine that? Um, hateful speech that takes place. Usually more common in churches like ours, gossip. Talking about one another behind their backs. Holding grudges against one another. And this is the place that calls themselves the body of Christ. Maybe you're here and you've experienced the pain of horribly messed up situations in churches. Maybe, and I, I believe it's probably likely, you've been abused or know someone who has because of it. Maybe you're visiting this morning and you don't know if you could ever trust a church again. Jesus maybe, but not organized religion called a church. I once heard a pastor share a story that I can relate to and that he was talking to a family member. He had just finished his PhD in theology and she was proud of him. She wasn't a Christian. She, wasn't, she didn't go to church and she said to him, she said to her nephew, hey, so what are you going to do with your degree and your education? And he, he thought, should I say a teacher? Should I say a preacher? He thought he'd, he'd, he'd fire the last blow. He said, I'm going to be a Baptist preacher. And she said, oh. And he said, oh. She said, I don't have time for organized religion. And he asked, well, why is that? She said, the church is, bunch, the church is a bunch of vipers. Of which he replied, you might be surprised that I agree with you more than you think. I think the church is full of vipers too, but... Do you really think that the world outside the church is any better? She said, well, no, but they at least know they're vipers. The pastor disagreed and said, actually, the church, if rightly teaching the Bible, knows and teaches that we actually are vipers and the world doesn't actually realize that at all. But we are being changed. And he said to her, and by the way, we always have room for one more to slither on in. <laughs> 
It was because a church was growing in a very dysfunctional way. Can you think of a church really dysfunctional? It's a mess. You don't even want to go, you go to church and you just kind of clam up. It's, it's problems everywhere. It's a mess. It was because a church was growing in a very dysfunctional Paul, some places. He, in his late in his life, he writes a letter to a young man, Timothy, his spiritual son. He led him to the Lord. He was his disciple. He was a mentor to him. He, he sent Timothy on journeys that he couldn't go. And he, Timothy was a trusted helper, pastor. And he tells him to stay in this dysfunctional church that he deeply loved. Paul had spent over three years in Ephesus. And that church was in a world of hurt. It was a mess. And he loved it. And he said, Timothy, I want you to stay there. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And then the letter continues into six short chapters. I invite you over the next two months to read and reread and make your study on your own in 1 Timothy. I want you to do that so you can give me feedback and say, hey, this is what I'm learning on my own, and this is, you helped me here. Or what about this, Pastor Daniel? Would you study 1 Timothy with me? So we do it every Sunday. So what's going on in Ephesus? Paul sends Timothy and says, I want you to stay there for a reason. Now, we can only speculate on some of the things based on the commands that Paul, is, Paul gives Timothy, but let me, some of their leaders were teaching different doctrines, dangerous doctrines, deceptive doctrines. They were tricking people, and it was leading them into major messes. It was distracting them from the main thing, the gospel. The gospel, the truth of God's word was being diluted and watered down and having no power. He was perverting God's way of truth. He was leading people into wickedness. These leaders were in the church. Think pastors or deacons or, or ministry leaders in the church were doing that. They were blasphemous. Two that had to actually be disciplined already by Paul and kicked out of the church. Gatherings, we don't know, but they might have been becoming a mess. They gathered together and they were missing the point. Prayer was getting neglected. Anger and quarreling were taking place between men. There was inappropriate, immodest activity by women when they gathered. There were elders and pastors and deacons, but they weren't godly men. They were not men of character. Some were drunkard and some were sleeping around, or they were just they were not men of good reputation. The widows were not being cared for or supported. They, They weren't supporting faithfully the pastors that were faithful. They weren't giving generously to them so that they could actually keep teaching the word. Um, family members weren't doing their duty to take care of their own widows. Instead, they were saying, well, church, you got to take care of it. And 
Boy, some of the people in the church, they had a poor testimony in the world. They go to work and people are like, you're really a Christian? Pastors and leaders were using religion, their faith, to get rich. And the church was struggling with the love of money rather than the love of God. Now, could this church survive? What hope does this church have? And what was young Timothy to do? Well, would you look with me at two chapters later, verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, which is where we're going to stay this morning. 14 and 15. Paul gives his reason for ultimately writing this letter. There's a lot here to glean for even what this verse says, these verses say this morning. We need this for preventative care. We need this for restorative care. Where we need to watch out for and where we need to change, this letter calls us to. And let me just say, before I read it, if you're sitting here and you go, I don't go to this church, and I don't know if I ever go to church. I'm not even sure I'll go to church again. I pray that God in his kindness and mercy will like open your eyes to see that there's something big and beautiful and glorious that God intends for your life, a relationship with Christ, and that that God plans to do a wonderful thing in your life through a thing called the church. So this is why Paul writes the letter. So we already saw Paul to you, my son in the faith, Timothy, and he gives another reason in verse 14 of chapter 3. Paul, Paul says, Timothy, I, I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, and a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, spirit seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up for glory. Would you focus with me on verse 15 this morning? Timothy, Paul says, I'm giving you information from Jesus Christ so you can know and teach the church how to behave in church, as a church. Know how to conduct yourselves as God's people. And with that, help do it, obey Don't just know it and then do nothing with it. Know it. I want you to know how to conduct yourself, and I want you to conduct yourself within the church. This sermon series over the next 10 weeks will be our doing what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to take his word and to take a letter like this that God intended for Paul to write to Timothy by his spirit he inspired, and it was passed along for all churches to read so they could learn God's will, Jesus' will for churches and how to behave in as a church. He intends for us, in a sense, to look over Timothy's shoulder, and as he reads it, we read it, and we go, oh, and we apply it to our lives. He wants us to eavesdrop on Paul's letter to Pastor Timothy and hear what we must teach and what we have to watch out for, what false doctrines we have to watch out for. What we need to learn as a church, you need to learn, not just a pastor, what is healthy teaching? And what if I don't get healthy teaching? And what if it's a false doctrine? What will that do to me? 
and why it's important, and what is the gospel, the good news, and why is it so good, and why does it change lives, and what should we do in a worship service, and what is the role of women in the church leadership, and what are elders, and overseers, and deacons, and what do they do, and are deaconesses a role in the church, and how do we care for widows, and widow-like people, and what kind of men are pastors to be, what, what qualifications must they have? What kind of character should they show? And what is their job? And how do we support them rightly? And what should we watch out for in getting bad teachers? And what is our proper role of money? And how do we let keep from letting money and materialism get a hold and choke us and, and destroy our lives? And how can we hope to be successful in all of this? And How can we show the rest of the world the beauty of God, our Lord and Savior, and Jesus Christ? Well, this morning, I I prayed and I pray that from verse 15, just for a few minutes, God will work and you'll hear this verse and you'll ponder the truth of verse 15 and you'll go, the church is glorious. I want to be or I am part of the church. I want this. I need this. Oh God, thank you. Help me to with the whole church grow in this and devote myself to this church, this assembly, this body, or wherever God has put me in whatever church he has. So I want you, by, to do that though, I want to just, 3 verse 15, that describe the church. Three profound realities. Would you, would you say, three profound realities. They're here, if you're a note taker, and I suggest you do that, and you have it in the back of your bulletin, I want you to see this. The church is the family of God. Two, the church is the assembly of the living God. And three, the church is the protector and promoter of truth. So let's look at these three things. First of all, so remember, he's saying this. He's saying, Timothy, and we're to listen in. Timothy, you are, I'm writing to you because I might not get there. I'm probably not going to get there in time. I want you to start teaching. And here, I want you to know these things so you can properly teach them how they are to behave. And then he gives this beautiful threefold answer of what the church is. First of all, he says, the church to behave in the church, and he says the church is the family of God. Look at that first phrase. He said, you need to know how to behave in the household of God. Okay, I have a household. I have a family. In fact, if I didn't own a house, I still would have a household if I had an apartment, or we were living at somebody else's house and living in your basement. It's still a household would be my family, my wife and my kids, and that time if I had servants or others that would help me, I, I, that would be my, part of my household, my family. And in my family, I have standards and rules, expectations. This is what we do as a family. This is what we do not do as a family. And Paul says, you need to understand that If you're part of the church, if you're a Christian and you've connected to the church and you're saved, you are are part of the household of God. That word household actually has to do with family. In fact, a few verses before, 
when he's talking to overseers or pastors, he says, they must be, look at verse 4, they must manage their own household well, that same word, their own family well, with all dignity, keeping their children submissive, gulp, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the God's church? Now he says, don't you realize that being part of the church is being part of the family of God? I wonder if you think of that that way. You, I know that I didn't blow anybody, most of you away by going, huh, oh, we're the family of God. You probably said, I knew that. Do you really know it? Do you really delight in it? Do you really take it so, in its, in its appropriateness, in its fullness, that this really, we really are the people of God. We're gathered today to be His family. And we are to be committed to each other. That's why we have, I have, a, I have this church director right here. There's 254 people calling kids in here, 119 members, adult members. And in this booklet... We have people that have agreed to this covenant that's right at the beginning of this book, the church covenant, that says we as a family commit to be like a family to each other and we're going to love each other and we're going to care for each other. We're not going to gossip about each other and we're going to live in love with each other. There's a key phrase, by God's Spirit's help, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, because I can't do it alone, but we commit to be a family. God it's called us to be God's family. Now, how did you get to be part of your family? Most people don't choose who their parents are going to be. Very few people do. There might be some rare exceptions. In, in beautiful cases, parents get to choose who their children are through adoption. I, I have several adopted nephews and nieces and two brothers. And they're, they're my brothers and my nephews and nieces. And it's a beautiful picture of being brought into a family. And do you know that if you are truly a Christian, you have been brought into the family of God. And how have you done that? Jesus says it in John chapter 1, that all who did receive him, it's actually John writing, all that receive Christ and believe in his name, they, they turn away from themselves. They believe on Jesus. He gave them the right to become children of God. Another way of saying it, they are made God's children. Because they are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. They are born again into His family. A new life has been given to them. And they take on new characteristics. Unlike an adopted person, they don't have the genes of that new parent. They take on some similarities if they've spent decades of time with mom and dad that they were adopted in. But we become his children and his, his DNA, spiritual DNA, goes into us by his spirit when we are saved. Because we believe in him. And it starts to work and we start to have new characteristics. We become like dad, our father, and like our, our savior, big brother Jesus who rescued us. I want to ask you if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, you don't know about these things very much, I want to invite you into this family. I want you to invite you to the family of God through Jesus Christ. 
His offer is to that all who look to Christ and receive what He did on the cross and was your substitute for your sins because we are all in a world of trouble unless we have somebody to take away our sins. And Jesus came in order to take away sins and He died on the cross. And everybody that accepts His free gift surrenders to Him he saves and, become, and we become part of the family of God. There, he accepts all. In fact, we're going to see this. Paul is going to go, he accepted even me, great sinner as I was. In order for everybody to know, if he saves me, he can save you. And he makes me part of the family of God. Jesus is our head, the head of this household. We obey him. He has house rules, and we are to follow them for our good. He says, you need my food. Eat my food. He says, you need to gather together as a family. He who eats together, stays together. Who eats together, who comes together. You gather together, and you're nourished in me. You are my church. I just want to finish with this. I'm not going to go much further on this. I just want to ask you this. Do you love the church? Would you really be able to say, I love the church? I know that because of painful experiences or just sinful decisions, but I pray that we would all, we would realize if we said, no, I don't love the church, we'd be saying, I don't love God's family. And we'd go, I can't say that. God, help me to love and be committed to his church and therefore what you have for in this letter, I'm going to pay attention to. What you want Pastor Daniel as a preacher and pastor to learn, I need to learn so I can pray for him and help him. And I need to like run along and listen to what he has to teach if it's consistent with this book. Because I'm part of the family of God. That's the first thing. Oh church, we are the family of God. But he also says something else. It's not enough for him to just say that phrase. That, that seems enough, but it's not. He says, so that you would behave know how to conduct yourselves or behave in the household of God, the family of God, which is, number two, the church of the living God. The second point is the church is the assembly of the living God. You might hear that phrase and go, that just seems redundant. That's just a kind of, he's just, it's poetic or He's just trying to, in some ways it is, he's emphasizing, he's trying to say, I want you to get this. If you didn't get it, keep listening. I mean, I have one, two, three punch here and I want you to get it. If you don't get one, I want you to get the second. I want to get you the third. In fact, I want you to get all three of them to get it into your heart and life. The church is the assembly of the living God. That word church is something we just throw around. Oh, it's the church. But the church is, means something. That word church actually means the assembly or the assembling. So in the assembly of God's people, that means the gathering of God's people. Did you realize that uh, centuries ago, and especially in England and even early New England and America, when churches, they would build a building like we have here, we have this building, we often call it an auditorium. I often call it a sanctuary. They would call it a meeting house or an assembly house. The, sem- the assembly house. As we, we are, because it's where we assemble... And the church assembles. The the assembly assembles. They gather together. You realize that 
to be a church biblically, one of the things we need to do is not just meet in small groups. We should do that. And meet in our homes. We should do that. But we assemble together to do something. We assemble together to meet with God in a special way. There's a blessing of meeting with God by yourself with the Bible. And you, you read God's word and he speaks to you. And, and we, I want you to come on Wednesdays and learn more about how to grow to actually on your own learn about how God speaks to you by your reading the Bible and praying. But there's a special way in which when God intends to, when we gather together, to meet us in a special way. When we take communion and walk down these aisles, we should look at our brothers and sisters and say, God's doing work in him and her and me together. And I have an obligation for one another. We, we sing and we praise God because we are the assembly of God. We are the assembling of God. Now, he doesn't just say the assembly of God, though, does he? You'll see in your Bibles that he has to add a word before God. And it's a quite important word for us. The church, the assembly of the living God. Do we believe that God is living I, think, I don't think there's anything more important than this for this church in the future, going down, going down in our future as we look through this year and we look to the coming years, as we look at raising our kids and bringing in new members. There's nothing more important than that we would truly experience the fact that we are the assembly of the living God. Do people come in here and do they come in here and go, God is among them. Do our lives live and reflect in such a way that God is alive? Not just some deity that we study about that seems very far off in distance and is relatable to Bible story characters like Abraham, David, Daniel, and Jesus, but not to hospital rooms in Ann Arbor or workplaces in Flint or on your job or in your home or in our street or at Leo's. God is the living God. Pray like that. Do you sing like that? I'm afraid that too often we don't. I I just ask you to think about this. God is the living God who is almighty, all-powerful. The nations are, all the nations, if you gathered all the population, they would be like a drop in the bucket of his grandeur and power. They're nothing to him. He, He spoke and the world exists. He speaks and we continue to exist. He sent his own son to save small people like us and make us his children. We are the gathering of that living God who has met us and met our greatest need in Jesus. And do we sing like he's the living God? We far often don't. Far too often you can look around and you go, you see people just... That was during the song. And, and I'm not trying to mock. I'm trying to say, well, let's, let's just pray and say, God, help me to reprogram with your help, reprogram how I think about gathering on Sunday. Don't come because I'm awesome. Because I'm not. Don't come because our worship team is awesome. Because they're not, they're good. But they're not awesome. Don't come because we have an experience that is awesome in itself. 
And he would he plans to come down and ignite his word, especially as we pray for it on Sunday. We Saturday we we think and we pray. We know okay, it was in the bulletin. Pastors and Daniel's in First Timothy next week. First Timothy two. I'm going to read First Timothy two, and I'm I'm going to pray. God, would you use him? Use me. And who can I invite? And who am I thinking about inviting all week that God would do a work? We are the assembly of the living God. That God will judge someday. He'll reward someday. He'll bring vengeance upon evil. He's the God that came on Mount Sinai and Moses' face was lit. He, was the, he is the mighty God. Hebrews says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of that living God. But when we come to Him in worship, it's like we're coming to Jerusalem, the city of the living God, Hebrews 12 says with angels and a festal gathering. When we gather together, we are worshiping along with the saints all over the world in their places and meetings, and the, people, and the angels in heaven are worshiping our Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We worship this living God, a living God that we're going to pray to. I prayed for a few minutes. Did you pray with me? And will you pray this week, people? If you haven't, why haven't you? Do you have a good reason not to? We want to help you learn how to do that. You might say, I just don't know how. We want to help you learn to know this living God and see Him at work in your life, seeing you provide. Sometimes He makes things hard in your life because He wants you to depend on Him and see Him come through. And then you go, if I just had everything perfect, I wouldn't trust in Him. But now I see that He's real and He's at work in my life. This letter is if, you are, if you're a highlighter and you read through 1 Timothy, I challenge you to circle every time you come across God in 1 Timothy, and you're going to find it the most common word. God, Paul, Paul is very concerned that we understand we are the assembly of the living God. One last thing about that. Paul was writing to the Corinthians church and he said, I'm so burdened that you conduct yourself when you gather Sunday mornings or whatever it is, they, they gathered on the Lord's day, the first day of the week, that, that when unbelievers, I hope you invite people that are not yet Christians. And I know that there's some in here that are exploring. They don't know. This is new to them. It's crazy. What? Someone talks for 35 minutes or 40 minutes. That's strange. It would be strange, but they would go, oh, God is among them. And though I don't know what it is, I want more of it. I want this God. It's, it's a terrible thing because I realize I'm a sinner, but they talk about He forgives. He cleans up our lives. He rescues us and changes us. Do we believe that? Lastly, not only is the church the family of God and the assembly of the living God, he says the church is the protector and promoter of the truth. He says it is the pillar and the bulwark of the truth, the buttress of the truth. What, what he's really saying is, in fact, it could be that, okay, remember, they're writing to Ephesus, this ancient town in Turkey, and this was, this was almost like a capital of the region, and they had this famous temple of Diana, because the legend had that this meteorite or something came from the sky and was here. And so they had this, I mean, thousand people would come all over the, that Asia, part of Asia, and they would come to worship in this 
foreign pagan temple. And they had these beautiful pillars. And Paul's saying, don't you realize that you, the church, are the pillar of the truth. There is no truth but Jesus Christ and his, God's word. And you, as a church, stand in Linden, in Fenton, and in this community, in your work, our schools. We are the protectors of the truth and the promoters of the truth. We are to protect it and defend it. So as we get through this letter, we're going to see my job, the pastor's jobs. The church's job is to say, let's teach the Bible and nothing other. Let's make sure the word of God is central. Let's not, let's not move away from it. Let's not err from it. Let's teach what is healthy truth. And we're going to see that in this book. And Paul over and over again says, Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture and to prayers and commit yourself to teaching so much so that and it will make an impact in the lives of your church. You as a church need to pray for me because I am part of the means of you continuing to believe in Jesus. That is a really strong statement. I really believe that if you are truly saved, God is at work in your life and he's going to keep you in him. But the one of the ways he keeps you in him believing is through the word of God. And one of the ways he uses is preachers and teachers of the word of God. And so Paul will say, watch carefully what you teach, Pastor Timothy, and your life. Make sure your life is consistent with you teaching. Because in so doing, you will save yourself and your hearers. And he's talking to the church. And so this, this really matters. And the truth matters. Do you realize that we are the only, we, the Christian church, I'm not saying this church only, but all those that are faithful to the word of God, whether they call themselves Baptist, non-denominational, or some other denomination that hold to the word of God, the triune God, the inspired scripture, and they teach it faithfully, we have the truth. The word of God is truth. It's true truth versus somebody else's truth. There's no, I got truth, you got truth. No, there is truth, objective truth, and we believe it because God spoke it. It's a truth that confronts. It says you are bad and you need a Savior, but God is better than you thought. It's liberating truth. And it transforms us. It's transforming truth. It changes us. Sometimes immediately, sometimes little by little. And it's beautiful truth. It's truth that's anchored in a person, Jesus Christ. As I go, I hope every Sunday I go, look to Jesus. Jesus is that truth. This passage, this, Bible, this book that we're going to see is going to say, you are to be anchored to truth, that you need to listen to the Word of God. You need to come to Sunday school. You need to come to a Wednesday or a small group or a Sunday morning, and you need to make that a commitment because you need the truth. You need the Word in your life every day and read the Bible. But that truth is meant to make a difference in your living. And we're going to see that in this letter. I want to end with this. I want to end with this. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. He says, we, we skip over these verses often because it's just like a salutation. It's a beginning. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, 
and of Christ Jesus our hope. I want you to ponder this. It's the command of God our Savior and Christ our hope. God is our Savior. Jesus is our hope. For to this end we strive, Paul says to Timothy in chapter 4, we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Would, Would you ask Jesus to help you love your Savior, keep trusting your Savior and hoping in your Savior and taking that and saying, help me to love assembling for the living God that we might be a light to the world, holding the truth, and it's meant to be personal in your life. This, isn't just for, this letter isn't just for me and a pastor or a few leaders. It's for you. It's for us. Those that have God as our Savior and Jesus as our hope. And if you're here today and you don't have God yet as your Savior and Jesus is your hope, We so desperately want to help you because God can save even you. Let's pray. Father.